0: Okay, so today we're looking at Abraham, or Abram, as uh, he was known in the earlier part of the story, and uh, we'll come to uh, looking at his story in Genesis 12 in a moment. Uh, Earlier this week, we heard that Paul and Claire. Waghorn Cowan, uh, who've been part of this church for nearly a year now, and their children have arrived in uh, the Philippines. Uh, They arrived in Manila and they've gone down now to Davao, which is in Mindanao, the southernmost uh, island in the Philippines. They're going to do a 12 month placement there with the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, and they'll be looking after their house, their missionary house. Um, So missionaries come into the Philippines and then stay there for a bit before going off to their. Own areas of work, um, and sometimes when they're coming back on going on to furlough, they'll stay there for a week or so before they leave, uh, and they go there for training things as well. So, Paul and Claire, uh, those of you who know them, know that they're very hospitable, and that'll be a, an ideal role for them. Uh, so, we're really pleased that they've arrived safely, but do keep praying for them as they embark on that 12 month placement. Um, some years ago, I had the privilege of meeting a Norwegian lady who also served God in the Philippines. Her name was Rachel Trovey and uh, I think she was a pastor's wife and then she'd uh, been widowed so she decided uh, at the age of 63 that she would go on her very first trip to Manila and on that first visit she went to a place called Smoky Mountain Um, which is a big, big rubbish tip on the edge of Manila. And it's called Smoky Mountain because it's constantly burning, basically. And there are people that uh, go on the mountain every day to scavenge for food and for anything they might be able to, uh, you know, sort of use for a business or to sell or anything like that. And so Rachel Trovey Uh, went to this place and she visited the slum areas and she distributed food and medicine and clothes and she paid for them all with her own money. And then she came back home to Norway and she lectured on the poverty in Manila. And over the next 22 years she set up three orphanages, six preschools, a centre for abused women, a home for the elderly... Her charity built a 100-bed hospital which opened in November 2015 and her charity has also paid for the education of 26,000 children. She has received lots of awards from the Philippines government uh, for her service to the people there and her initiatives to promote common goods. It is never too late to hear God's call on our lives. And this sermon is about Abraham And at the age of 75, he decided to listen to God's call on his life and to make a big move, a big change in his life. So God chose Abraham uh, to be his vehicle for rescuing the world. And Abraham's story teaches us at least three important truths. First of all, number one. Abraham's descendants will be as numerous as the stars, and all of the families of the earth will be blessed by becoming part of his family. So we could say that this story is the origin of the family of faith. Secondly, we learn that God will rescue the world through faith, which is counted as righteousness, and Abraham becomes the father of all who believe. Abraham was considered righteous by faith long before the law was given to Moses, which would come much later. So we're not justified through the law, we are justified uh, through faith. And so you could say this is the origin of justification by faith. Thirdly, God will rescue the world through suffering. Because immediately after God confirmed his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, he said that his children will suffer. In Genesis fifteen thirteen, that there will be strangers in another land, and that they will be slaves for four hundred years. Now, as we read through the Bible, we find that God often works in this way: that there is a blessing, but it comes at a price. And so, the nation of Israel and Jesus, of course, ultimately overcome and see victory, but not before they've experienced rejection and oppression. And these two themes of suffering and blessing shape the rest of the book of Genesis and indeed the whole of the Bible. That theme runs through the Bible. And so you might say that this is the origin of the idea of blessing through suffering. We first read of Abraham's covenant with God or God's covenant with Abraham, I should say, in chapter 12 of Genesis. And we're going to read the first nine verses. So Genesis 12 verses 1 to 9. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham Traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Well, according to Acts uh, chapter 7, verse 2, God appeared to Abram while he was still living in Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, Genesis eleven thirty-one 31 confirms this. Terah. Abram's father, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. I think we have a map here just to show where they travelled to, so let's just bring that up. So they start out from a place called Ur, It's on there somewhere. So Ur would have been in modern day, uh, kind of Iran, that sort of area. I think that quite a long journey they were asked to go on from there all the way through to Canaan. Uh, The map is definitely there. It was definitely there in the 9.30 service. So somebody stole on it. Um, And then there it goes. And we have some arrows as well just to make it more complicated Uh, so Ur is here that's where they started out uh, on the right hand side Uh, and then they travelled up to Haran which is up the top there's Ur the blue arrow Haran's up the top there the shaded area and they settled there yellow arrow yes and uh, that was good Lindsay's doing well here. And then they ended up where the pink arrow is, going all the way down to Shechem and Ai uh, and Bethel and that sort of area. So it's quite a, if you know that, you know, if you look at, think about the modern day map, that is quite a distance to travel. They started in where the blue arrow is and then they settled where the yellow arrow is and Haran. I wonder whether similar thing has happened in your life, whether you started out, God's called you to do something and you've got so far with it, but you kind of got stuck halfway, which is pretty much what they did. They got stuck halfway. Terah led his family as far as Haran, but then they settled there. I wonder if God has called you something to, to do something and maybe you never got started on it, or maybe you did get started, uh, but at some point along the way you just settled down. The message of this sermon is, it's never too late to hear the call of God on your life. It may be that you've heard the call of God, that there's a sense of what God's calling you to do, and you've started on that journey, but you haven't perhaps completed the journey. It's never too late to hear God call you to follow him. Uh, I don't know whether everybody in the room is a believer and is a, a, you know, following Christ, but it's never too late to start that journey. Uh, people come to know Christ very often when they 're younger, but uh, sometimes you get people who are right towards the end of their lives come to know Jesus as lord and savior it 's never too late it 's never too late for him to forgive you, to give you new life, to give you a fresh start, and uh, you can start to follow him today it 's never too late to hear God call you to serve him in a particular way it 's never too late. for God to call you into a pioneering work, uh, maybe a church plant or something like that in the future. I have a friend called Marigold. She was in my previous church. Uh, She left the church to go and plant a church in Kingston. And then in her 70s, she decided she was going to leave that church and go on to plant another church in Richmond, which was nearer where she lived. Uh, So in her 70s, she became a pioneering uh, uh, member of that church, that new church. It's never too late to hear the call of God on your life. Abraham was 75 years old when he obeyed God's call. Now at that stage of his life, he probably should have been sitting in a nice comfortable armchair with a blanket over his legs, uh, watching you know, daytime TV, sitting in front of the fire, doing jigsaw puzzles, that sort of thing. But he decides that he's going to go camping for the rest of his life because God called him to do that. And so in verse 1, we find that the Lord calls Abraham and says, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And we might ask, well, what attracted Abraham to move? What what really was the reason for him moving? Uh, Was it the prospect of becoming more prosperous? Well, clearly not because he was already a very wealthy man. He had plenty of money to live on, plenty of flocks and all that sort of thing. At that sort of stage in his life, he didn't need anything more. What attracted him to move? Was it a better lifestyle? Uh, No, probably not. Was it a good education for his kids? No, definitely not that because he didn't have any. So what attracted Abraham to move? Was it the opportunity to buy a bigger house? Well, it wasn't that either, because he was going to have to live under canvas for the rest of his life. So what attracted him to move? H- had somebody said to him, look, you know, Canaan is a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, you know, I went on there on a holiday there once. You, you really love it? Is it, is it like you know, one of those programs like A Place in the Sun, where you go and you find your nice holiday home and maybe retire to a lovely place in the sun? No, it wasn't that reason either. The only reason Abraham moved from where he was to Canaan was simply because God had asked him or told him to go. And actually Abraham was very good at uh, moving and obeying God and sensing what God was saying. People make all sorts of changes in their lives for all sorts of reasons. And uh, Christians are no different from other people. They sometimes move because they've got an opportunity to make more money, or they've got an opportunity to move to a bigger house, or they've got an opportunity to get their kids into a better school. And I've seen plenty of Christian believers that have done those things over the years and moved for those reasons. But the best place for any of us to live is the place where God wants us to live. That will be the place of blessing and if that means living in London, in more of an urban context, then that's fine. Because if God's called you to live here, you'll be blessed here. If God has called you to live in a more of a rural area, country area, whatever, uh, then that's great. If he's called you to go there, that's where you will be blessed. But the important thing is that we live in the place that God is calling us to live. So if you're planning to move, I want to suggest you should make sure you really know that God is calling you to move to that place. Uh, There are plenty more places in the world that would be nicer to live than, uh, you know, the Downham Estate or this part of London. uh, But actually, you want to be where God is calling you to be. But like anybody else, Abraham would have weighed up the consequences. He would have thought, well, I've got to, you know, I'm leaving behind all the convenience of living in a city. Uh, you know, if you go, uh, Kathy and I stayed in a, a village in Surrey a few weeks ago and, you know, there were no local shops. and no shops that you could just walk to. There was no Tesco's down the road. You, you had to get in the car and drive for miles to get to a little shop uh, next to a petrol station. You know, so Abraham's leaving all the convenience of being in a city and he's, he's going uh, right to out into the countryside, right out into the sticks and camping. He had to weigh up all those consequences, And you've got to be pretty adventurous to make that kind of move and embark on that sort of project at the age of 75. My wife's grandmother, Kathy's grandmother, was not a very adventurous person. Uh, I knew her, she died many years ago, but I knew her when we first got married, used to go visit her. She lived in a flat by herself. She very, very rarely ever went out from that flat. She just stayed in the flat all the time. She wasn't really wanting to go out. She didn't want anybody to look at her, so she didn't go out. And uh, she used to say things like, you, you never see things like, you know, those things in the shops these days. Do you the, you She'd talk about something you used to get in the shops years ago. And Kathy's dad used to say to her, "But you never go to the shops, so how would you know whether they're in the shops or not?" You know. So she was a funny old stick. And she said, uh, in her 60s, she said, uh, "You know, it's not worth getting new curtains at my time of life." She lived till she was 93. I mean, she could have had curtains and lots of different sets of curtains within the 30 years that she lived, but she, it wasn't worth it at her time of life. Not very adventurous, but Abraham was. To be fair, he did live to 175, so maybe 75 was pretty young in his thinking. Um, But he was willing to take the risk. He was willing to leave the city and go where God led him. So in verses 2 and 3, he's got this promise, I will make you into a great nation, God says. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. It's an extraordinary promise that God gives to him. And God is asking Abraham to leave behind all the familiar surroundings, his his people, his friends, some of his family and servants, no doubt. His whole life is disrupted. Uh, But for what reason? Well, you might have thought that he could stay in Haran and hear God's voice there. Surely God could speak to him in the city. But God wants to uh, see whether Abraham's going to obey him. And sometimes we have to move somewhere. We actually have to act on uh, our faith. Uh, We have to move from A to B and then God speaks again. God is looking often for evidence of faith. Because uh, James says that without deeds our faith is dead and so there needs to be some sort of action to accompany faith. You know, we can say, oh, you know, I've got faith and sort of sit there passively waiting for God to speak, but if God has said something to us, then we need to act on that before he often before he'll speak again. And so Abraham is willing to make that move. He's not he's not going to be passive. He's willing to get up and go. Uh, And it's only when he moved and got to the new land that God was calling him to, which was quite a commitment to go travel all that distance, it was only then that God speaks to him in verse 2 and 3 and gives him this covenant promise. If he had stayed in Haran, maybe he would never have had that covenant promise over his life. So he makes the move and God speaks to him. God is interested in us obeying him when he speaks to us. It's challenging. So if God has spoken to you, have you done anything with it? If God has spoken to you, are you exercising faith by actively uh, trying to obey what he's calling you to do? I would suggest that we shouldn't just sit there. We should do something in response to what God has said. So God starts with one man of faith and through him his purpose was to bless the whole world. So obviously Abraham's family eventually becomes the Jewish nation. And then through the whole world has been blessed through that nation and specifically through Jesus Christ. So this is the most extraordinary covenant promise which actually impacts every one of us who's a believer sitting here today because in a sense we are all part of Abraham's family, this family of faith. He had to receive this promise by faith because Hebrews 11.11 11 sums it up in this way. By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered God faithful uh, who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So Abraham is receiving this promise by faith because at that particular moment he did, did not have a son, he did not have any children at all, and so he is a man who responds to God In faith, And as we come on to verse 4 and 5, we learn that Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out. He took his wife, Sarai, and his nephew, and all the possessions they'd accumulated, and they arrived in Canaan. So verses 4 and 5 sort of states in a matter-of-fact kind of way that they just went and moved all those hundreds of miles to Canaan, just like that. But it would seem that as you read the story of Abraham, every time God speaks to him, he does tend to obey God fairly quickly, fairly rapidly. Uh, he was willing to move to Canaan. And then later on in his story, he's told he's got to send Hagar and Ishmael away, for example. And he, he obeys that. Or he's got to sacrifice Isaac. And he, he takes steps to obeying that as well. And so he's a great example of a person of faith. But I wonder how long it takes us to obey God when we hear him speak to us. God spoke and said, this land will become yours, Abraham, and will be inhabited by all your descendants. So in verse 6, we find that Abraham is traveling then through the land of Canaan. And he travels as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And it says that the Canaanites were in the land at that time. And as they wandered around the land, it must have felt a little bit aimless to Abraham's uh, family and his servants. I mean, Abraham's convinced he knows that God's speaking to him, uh, but they're going through this quite barren type of land, I guess, landscape. And uh, he's going to have to explain every time to his servants and the people that are with him "Oh, God's now called us to go here. And the servants are saying to him, so where are we heading now? And he says, well, we've got to go to this tree at Morah in Shechem. And you can imagine the servants getting really excited about going to visit a tree in Shechem. Um, you know, so why are we going to this tree in Shechem? And Abraham's saying, well, God's told us to go there. And then you know, they're sort of saying, well, where are we going to go next? You know, are you going to do it, take us on a dry riverbed tour or, or something like that? Are we, you know, Where are we going now? Uh, no, it's a tree. We're going to see this tree at Moro. Fantastic! Can't wait to do that. So he's got to convince all the people with him that God is speaking to him. And sometimes we know God is speaking to us, but it's more difficult to convince other people around us that God is saying something to us. And, it, and that challenges us. That, 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 that stops us sometimes from obeying God. But Abraham, with all of that sort of, you know, kind of challenge of trying to lead this whole group of people, his servants and his his household, he still obeys God and he moves to where God is telling him to go to. So he's walking around, moving around uh, Canaan, and they go to three specific places in this passage. Shechem, uh, a place between Bethel and Ai, and the Negev. And each of the places that Abraham stops at in the land of Canaan are mirrored in the story of Jacob and Joshua. So one Bible scholar says it can hardly be accidental that these are the same locations visited by Jacob when he was returning to Canaan from Haran in Genesis 34 and 35, as well as the same sites occupied in the account of the conquest of the land under Joshua. So in Genesis 35, 1-4, God instructs Jacob to build an altar at Bethel and to get rid of their foreign gods. And so he does that by burying the idols under an oak at Shechem. Again in Joshua 24, 25 and 26 we learn that Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. You see, Abraham's already been directed by God to go to these places, but in future generations, these places would still have significance. Jacob and Joshua and others would revisit these places, even a boring old oak tree in Shechem, because God was in it and his descendants, Abraham's descendants, would also be involved in visiting these places. So they have much more significance than we might imagine. And then in Joshua 10, verse 40, we learn that Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev. So Abraham's been there already. It's almost like he's marked out the country where his descendants will occupy eventually by faith, because he still hasn't got a son at this point, And God has told him and directed him to go through this land. So it may have looked very random, very, casu- uh, very sort of to the casual on look of very random kind of wanderings around, but God is leading them from one place to another. So his actions symbolically foreshadow the eventual occupation of Canaan by the Israelites. In verse seven, we're told that the Lord appeared to Abraham and says, "I'm going to give this, your offspring this land." And so He builds an altar to the Lord at that place. So uh, God makes this promise that they will inherit the land. Now, there are present day tensions in the land of Israel. Uh, the Palestinians lay claim to the land, the Jewish people lay claim to the land, and really it's an incredibly complex uh, situation. But if you're going to put it really simply, it all boils down to and comes back to this moment with Abraham because he had two sons. He had a son, Ishmael, who wasn't the promised son, uh, and then he has the Isaac, the, God's you know, chosen son. And the descendants of Ishmael uh, many of them are Palestinians and Arab people. Um, and then the descendants of Isaac are the Jewish people. And so there's this ongoing tension about who uh, should own the, and, and occupy the land. The Palestinians say it's been promised to us through Ishmael, Abraham Ishmael and his line. Uh, and the Jewish people are saying the same, but it's through Isaac. So there's this real tension uh, which is just ongoing. And the politicians have been, you know, over the years, working so hard to try and and reconcile this, but it all goes back to Abraham. And so, in verse eight, we find uh, that Abraham moves on. He goes to the hills east of Bethel and pitches his tent there. Uh, so, Bethel AI, and he builds another altar to the Lord there. He worships the Lord again because God meets with him there. So, Abraham built an altar at each place he met with God. So, wherever God spoke to him, he built an altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord. When God speaks to us, it's good to worship. It's good to stay in that place uh, while God is really moving in that particular moment in our lives. There have been a number of times in my own life when I look back where you just know that you are meeting with God in a very special way. And uh, it's important that we stay there and we enjoy that moment. But you, you can't stay there forever. You can't. The, the danger is that you kind of look back to that time and you build a, an altar in your mind to that experience or that, that moment when God spoke to you. And you, the danger is you look back to that time rather than looking ahead to what God wants to speak to you and do in your life now and in the future. And uh, I, I think... I've seen people do that in the past and uh, it's important that we uh, enjoy what God has done in the past but then move on and look ahead again uh, and, and see what God is wanting to do in the present and in the future. Some of the biggest opponents of a fresh move of God's spirit are those who experience the last move of God's spirit, because they want to hold on to that experience and the way that God did things there, and uh, can't really recognize what God is doing now. And God works in uh, all sorts of ways, he's infinitely creative, and so if he wants to speak to people in the present time in a very different way from the way he did you know, 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 100 years ago, that's that's fine, that's perfectly okay, that's what we should expect because God will do new things, He is a God of creation. And so the, the way that God met with Abraham at Shechem was different to the way he met with him at Bethel and Abraham is constantly looking to see where he's, God's going to lead him next. So I guess uh, I would want to ask uh, a few questions coming out of this passage in Genesis 12. What is God calling you to do with your life? That's a big question, and maybe some of us know what the answer would be, and some of us don't. Uh, But we can seek God for the answer to that. Have you already heard his voice, but actually failed to obey him? Maybe you failed to get started on what God called you to do. Or maybe you got halfway there, like they did. They got sort of halfway along the journey. And you just know that in this moment, you're just thinking, I just need to go back to God and ask him for the next step. Uh, maybe you thought, I, I don't know what God's saying now, but it was because you never actually took a step of faith. Uh, maybe you think you're too old to respond to God. You, you know, you've kind of done everything and you've got to a stage in life where you want to settle down and uh, you're not kind of looking to go camping for the rest of your life like Abraham. Uh, well, maybe God has got something fresh for you to do. Uh, I wonder if you're making life decisions on the basis... Of what God is saying, or are you making life decisions on other criteria? Maybe you're looking for a more comfortable life, a more affluent, a bigger house, a better education for your kids, whatever it is. But really, the place to be is where God wants you to be. That's the place of blessing. And what kind of faith do we have? Is it a faith that's accompanied by actions? Or is it kind of passive, slightly paralysed faith where we're waiting for God to tell us the next bit, but he's actually waiting for us to make a move? It is never too late to hear God's call on your life. And uh, we see from Abraham's life that when you do hear God's call and when you do make a move, there is enormous blessing that follows. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all that you've uh, done through Abraham's life and really it just uh, connects very much with our own lives as he is the father of faith. Lord, we thank you for his great example of obedience and Lord, that's a very, very challenging to us. Thank you for his willingness to travel many hundreds of miles with all his family and all his servants. Uh, willing to get there before you spoke to him again, willing to accept that what you'd said was true, even though he didn't have a family himself. Uh, so Lord, we thank you for his example of faith. Thank you that we are, like him, uh, justified by faith. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear what you're saying to us. Lord, if we're halfway through something, Lord, I pray that you would stir us to continue to press on with what you're calling us to do. Amen.